from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest that includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. in Farmer Days, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hello everyone, it is me, one of your hosts, D.B. Spitzer. Farmer Dave, how's it how's it going, uh, Farmer Dave? Uh, second, uh, it is well, and I'm, I am host number two. Yeah, yeah, uh, to my virtual uh, northeast. <laughs> Unless you're standing on your head. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I've I, I now have kind of like a uh, control center. Uh, thing going on in the studio, so it's really hard to say. It's like, well, if if, if my microphone's north, uh, my mic stand continues that way. Dave's northeast, uh, and and I was told there would be no math. <laughs> but but the main monitor that I look at is 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 northwest. But the monitor that I look at to uh, check out uh, Skype is directly east. So. Anyway, anyway, uh, hey, uh, how, how's, how's, how's things? How's things on your side of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos? How- it is well. We are, apparently, we now live in northern Oregon because it's raining. I haven't seen rain like this for years. It's, it's good. It's yeah, good. yeah, no, no, it's, it's Muddy been. on the farm. It's been nice. It's, it's, it's like moss has gotten even greener everywhere. It's. Everything's really, really, really green for this time of year. I'm used to it being kind of like everything's super dead, but it's been really nice and green. So it's it's kind of kind of weird. Uh, I know people, uh, friends of the show, listeners of the show in the Southwest, 
and in California uh, have been talking about just like how it's like spring there. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah it's, it's like spring here. It's like 50 degrees and uh, it's a torrential downpour and windy. So, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, know what we do have? What do we have? Well, I told you a couple of weeks ago we had lambs, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have a, a bummer lamb. Okay. You know, you know what a bummer lamb is? And it's not quite full bummer lamb. You know what a bummer lamb is? What's a bummer lamb? As far as I know, this is where the term bummer comes from. Uh-huh. It, it's a lamb that won't, for either the mother or it reason or whatever, won't latch onto its mom to get milk. Uh-huh. Huh. And so, so it's not uncommon if you've got three animals uh-huh. that the mom can't keep track of, too. Okay. And we're thinking, well, maybe this poor little brown lamb that we've got, maybe it just needs more milk. Sure. So, and, and we call it yeller because it, it yells. Uh-huh. And so we took it in and we'll just feed it some milk. Oh, mama realized it was missing a, a, a lamb. So it's in the house and mom is going, meh, and it's going, meh. And so they have this conversation. <laughs> you know, it's out in the back. Mom is about in the backyard part yeah. of the, the fields. But, um, so we've been, it's not a full bummer, and it, the mom knows it's there. It's just, I think maybe it's just a, you know, and this is just, it might be just a rub because it's much smaller than his brother's. So uh, he comes in three days a, or three times a day, and then we take him back out because, uh, you know, <laughs> lambs are just so loud. Yeah, no. Because no, no. uh, our, uh, our listeners will hear pretty soon hear what the baby sheep, but oh, the lambs are just terrible. Yeah. I mean, not terrible. They're just loud. Sure, sure. So, yeah, we've been dealing with a little bit little bit of a bummer. But as soon as it gets in, the mom, like, gives us a look and, and tries to, to, to feed it. And says, why are you telling me how to do my job? <laughs> well, as someone who uses the term bummer all the time, uh, as, as, as being a West Coast dude that I am, he is. I, I'm. I'm pretty sure. That maybe. Maybe the, the the words develop separately. But I'm pretty sure that's where the word boomer comes from. Yeah. No. It sounds like. Uh, if 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 I just look at the spelling of it, it it looks like one of those, uh, old old English words like bug, boomer, bog. <laughs> a lot of B sounds. A lot of B sounds. I I, I figured that would be a cool name for a band. It's yeah. the bummer lamb. <laughs> yeah, no, kind of like a, uh, I don't know, like like a, a, a Celtish shoegaze band. <laughs> and here we are. So, what are we talking about this week? Since we're not talking about bummer lambs. So we are talking a couple of things. Yeah. We are talking about formless spawn. Ooh. And we are talking about the leader of the. Fire vampires. Whoa, fire vampires and their leader? That's crazy. That's like a two for one. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and, and we'll find out a little bit why they are so related to their leader. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sounds cool. Uh, do we have anyone that we're talking to this week? Yes. So we have a, um, we have a, a t- second time he has appeared on the show. Cool. And that is... Is a Phil Layman. 
Oh, and cool. Phil Lehman talked, uh, you know, I was talking about him. Saying, yeah, you know, Phil, you were on the show, what? He said five months ago. I go, five months ago? I can't be. Yeah, it's September. It's been five months. Wow. That, that's like it, three seasons ago with this show. Uh, honestly. <laughs> uh, and so uh, Phil, among other things, he, he does a lot of LARP. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and he, in, he, in the past, the last time he was on the show, he talked about some of the LARPing he was doing and some Mythos LARPing. Nice. But uh, we both have a, a sort of shared passion mm-hmm. in a fictitious character. And that is the Star Wars Marvel ca- Comics character, Dr. Aphra. And yes, I do have a goat named Dr. Aphra. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we, we kind of talk about uh, our mutual appreciation of, um, of, of Dr. A. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. I don't know a lot about Dr. A, so I'm going to be excited to listen. You, you will after the show. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So um, I was thinking Dave's Corner of the Podcast, we should definitely talk about that fire vampire. So, so let's just talk about the fire vampires and their leader uh-huh. whose name is how would you pronounce it Fathagua? I, I say Fathagua, yeah. Fathagua. Now, remember we we had talked oh probably about two months ago uh-huh. about Kafagua. Yeah. And I got the two confused. Mm-hmm. Um so I've done some since then. Uh, I felt very embarrassed, but I kind of see the connection. Oh yeah. So, um, so first of all, Fatagua photog- ph- mm-hmm. appears in the story Vamp- Fire Vampire. Yeah. Uh, but before we talk about the story, I think we really have to talk about the author, uh-huh. Donald Wondry. Yes. Um. So, uh, anything you wanted to bring on about Donald Wandry before? Oh, uh, Donald Wandry, uh, pulp writer, extraordinaire. Um, mm-hmm. Although, he wrote about 60 pulp stories. Uh-huh. His brother, Howard Wandry, mm-hmm. published over 200. That's crazy. But, but, he, but Donald, I think is definitely more remembered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, friends with Augie Dog Derleth, uh, I think one of the founder, founding people of Arkham House, or one of the founding... Yes, he founding, was the co-founder of Arkham yeah. House. Yeah, let's see. And off the top of my head, uh, that's that's all I can think about about uh, Donald Wandry. So in 1927, so he's... We think of all of the, you know, of Lovecraft of being... This master of correspondence. Sure, yeah. Wandry was basically the first of the the circle writers oh, okay. with him and Lovecraft. And so in 1927, uh, at the age of about 19, Wandry says, I'm going to go meet Lovecraft. Huh. And so he hitchhikes all the way out to... Um, to meet Lovecraft, yeah, who uh, at this time was a sort of a, a beginning author, and so there's this very famous story 
that Laundry tells about them and another guy mm-hmm. where they go to this ice cream parlor and, and they try like samples of all 29 flavors. <laughs> and, and I could just see Lovecraft. You know, uh, can I have a little spoon of that strawberry? Or, you know, I just imagine them, you know, by the time they, they, they filled up, it was just like 29 samples from different flavors. Yeah. And I, I can so see Lovecraft doing that. Um, so Lovecraft, oh, excuse me, Wandre is also important because he's the person who convinced Farnsworth Wright yeah. to publish Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he basically said, if you don't do it, someone else is. Mm-hmm. Um, he is predominantly a, I mean, he's known, in fact, it's Wandre's poetry. Mm-hmm. That kind of inspires Lovecraft to write the uh, fungi from Yugoth. Okay. And 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 I always sort of figured it was Clark Ashton Smith who who Lovecraft loved as a poet. But uh-huh. and then there's some definite truth to that. But specifically going over Wandry's poetry hmm. uh, that Lovecraft said, I'm going to sit down and work, try my own hand at it. He is basically a science fiction writer. And I would say, as we discuss these fire vampires, uh, very much a pulp science fiction writer. In fact, Robert E. Howard, who infamously did not like science fiction, mm-hmm. uh, describes Donald Wandry as his favorite science fiction writer. Yeah. And, and, and Howard, you know, is this, uh, you know, he writes horror, he writes adventure, Mm-hmm. He, he touches a little science fiction. He, he just did not like science fiction as a genre. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but you are right in that Wondery also um, is a co-founder of um, Arkham House. Uh-huh. Uh, and he also, so he's born in 1908. That makes him 31 Okay. when the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. Uh-huh. And he joins the army at 31. Okay. And, and through the 40s, and as near as I can tell, not a lot of documented, but I think he stays in the military for a while after World War II. So uh, he kind of disappears a little bit in the 40s and 50s and may have, um, you know, uh, worked on different TV products or mm-hmm. projects in the 60s. There's still sort of some questions there. Hmm. But we're going to be talking about the fire vampire. Fire vampire. Yeah. And, and to me, this is much more. I mean, it's 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 considered it's considered a mythos story. It is obviously yeah. going to influence. Um, Derleth. Yeah. But it, to me, the story is much more of a science fiction story. It definitely has gothic, oh, it definitely has cosmic horror aspects, uh-huh. but it, it's more to me a science fiction story in the part that, you know, it, it's set in 2321. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, so you know, it's it, it set hundreds of years in the future. And where... Basically, this writer's telling the story of the 
this scientist named Gustav Norby. Yeah. Who discovers a comet. And then then all of a sudden the comet starts jumping all over the place. Mm-hmm. And that um, it's actually this intelligent creature, the fire vampires. And one thing that I got from the story that, you know, my first contact with fire vampires was, of course, the Call of Cthulhu mythos story. Uh, I mean, Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember, remember ever saying in the, the rules there, they can take on human form. Oh. You know, they got their spies and mm-hmm. stuff. But um, basically, so this comet flies in, and they decide that they want to... Uh, take over well they, they don't they want sacrifices they want thousands of human beings and if you don't do what, what we say um we will destroy you know next time we'll ask for hundreds of thousands and of course they want norby because he's this very you know astounding pulp fiction scientist he's the only one that can beat them yeah and one of the things he realizes is is that Fatagua, their, their leader, mm-hmm. is basically the conscious or part of all of the fire of fire vampires. Yeah. So it, it, it he's it's sort of a it absorbs, and and you know we have we have Dagon and Mother Hydra. Mm-hmm. You know they are the the biggest, toughest, meanest, deep ones. Yeah. Yeah. But this is all of them. So imagine if Father Hydra, you know, army, uh, yeah, Mother Hydra and Father Dagon had the memory and knowledge and awareness of all the deep ones. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, Norby, which is our hero, defeats the the fire vampires. And then the the comet, uh, Normie's comet, or I think it's Katanga or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all wiped out, so the comet now orbits the Earth. Yeah. So very, very, very traditional. Um, a, a, a pulp science fiction story. Oh yeah, yeah. I could e- see that easily being made into a science fiction film, of course. Yeah, or or especially in the the forties or the fifties. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not the effects. Yeah, maybe not the effects, but sure. But so that's one. And so Derelith, and at this time, Wandry and Derelith are obviously in communication because they are setting up Arkham House. Yeah creates Kathuga, which is a more <coughs> mythos version mm-hmm. of Uh And so that's sort of why I got confused, and I think that kind of hints at some of the, the Call of Cthulhu gaming supplements that, that you know, Fathugwa is more like sort of the leader of the fire vampires. Yeah. Kathuga is an outer god. Yeah. Or a great old one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, that makes sense. That makes a lot more sense. 
Yeah, that's 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 kind of a scary idea. That's that's like, there's one main one who is bigger than the rest of them, but there's also this this being that is all of them combined. That's knows. It, it's sort of the, it's what we would now call a hive mind. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of uh, Starro in the Suicide Squad. Not Suicide Squad, but the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Spoiler um, alert: Starro's in that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and definitely, I think Starro was is obviously influenced by the pulp writings. Oh, oh, and, yeah. And, and, and yeah. I'm getting conflicting things that you know, Wandering may or may not had some influence over DC at the time. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So you know, but definitely, I I I, I see a con- I do I see a, a connection even if it's not even if it's an accidental connection between Starro and say the the fire vampires. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. One of my faves, one of my faves, Starro. Uh, fire vampires are pretty cool, too. I've used them pretty much, I think I've talked about this before, I've pretty much treated uh, fire vampires like fire Starro. I mean, <laughs> not a lot. I mean, that's that's just, you know, uh, invisible. What, what are those other ones? Those, those like, blood vampires? or The, no? the blood vampires, yeah. which are, yes. And I believe they were created by Block. But yep. I'm going off the top of my memory. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, it's 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 like uh, part of me is like has this head canon of like uh, Donald Wonders. Like, oh, I need a a mythos idea. Hey, 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 Block. Uh, what what do you got? I got a great idea for you, Donnie. It, it's called Fire Vampires. <laughs> and then he's like, Yo, that's great. I'm gonna write that right now. And it just wrote itself. Fire vampires. <laughs> so, so I use fire vampires like if I'm running Call of Cthulhu uh-huh, uh-huh. as sort of uh, an, an excuse. Use them as, as UFOs. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. have them, have the investigators come into a town investigating UFOs. Or, you know, mm-hmm. what people are thinking of UFOs, and then instead of you know alien ships, it, it, it's fire vampires. Yeah, yeah, no, I've definitely used fire vampires for people, like, camping in Yellowstone or something like that. Uh, just kind of, like, to kick off, like, a Cthulhu, like, whoop. Nope, oh, you can hear our, our guardian livestock dogs are, yeah. are protecting. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, definitely have them, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, What was I talking about? Fire vampires. Fire vampires. No, definitely have them uh, set up kind of like Starro in a way uh, and and, and, and uh, treat them like that. Uh, have them be something that like is being kept away from people. Oh, no. I was talking about fire vampires in Montana, but that's not what we're talking about this yes. week. We're not talking so, about... I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, no. Like, uh, starting... Uh, fires in like Yellowstone or uh, Glacier National Park, uh, places where people are cut off from civilization, and then like trying to explain to a park ranger that sentient fire is following you, is I, I don't I don't know if that's like uh, kind of like a a trope with fire vampires, but that's what I've always done with it is like 
treat it almost like, you know, Friday the 13th or like a slasher film, except for it's not, uh, you know, some dead guy with a gross face. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's like a bunch of little things that can form into one big thing that can follow you. And those little things can catch stuff on fire, but they can also go through keyholes and they can heat things up and they can explode cars and they can cut power lines because they understand our technology better than we do. <laughs> well, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> or let's say you got D&D. Let's take this. You got a D&D game. Sure. You sort of mythos yeah. up a little bit. What if there's, instead of fire vampires, mm-hmm. Fafagua is sort of the collection of all the fire elementals. Ooh. So, that's so scary. you know, yeah. And so, you know, all the every every time that like an elemental comes to this plane, you know, Fafagua knows it, knows who they fought, and knows yeah. who's attacked them. And you know, he has since you know the Earth core has cooled history, but he would also make a pretty powerful patron for a fire uh, warlock. Yeah, yeah, you're always thinking of patrons for warlocks it seems, but yeah. <laughs> that's 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 a good idea. I like that a lot. I do like that a lot. Uh yeah, no. Um this isn't D&D on D&D yet, but definitely definitely. I mean, there's I I feel like there's a fair amount of what you could do with uh, Fathuga. You can have fire cults, uh, cults that are super that that, that think that Fathuga cares what they are or what what uh, you know more or less a cargo cult uh, to Fathuga of extreme individuals doing extreme things. Uh, this could be in D and D. This could be in Shadowrun, Cyberpunk, Boot Hill, oh, oh, and, and say Pyromaniac, who's lighting fires because he's trying to get Fafuga's attention. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And screams in like a star scream type voice that neither of us want to do right now to mess up our voices. But, you know, insane piercings and fire tattoos on their arms and body and, you know, just kind of, you could like really play it up for your characters. Or if you're writing a story, this is like not your main bad guy, but this is your chaotic bad guy, the wild card who pops up multiple times and is kind of like you know, maybe uh, Guardian Threshold, we're going to go back to the Joseph Campbell for a moment, and then, you know, ends up being part of your team and then betrays you, and then you have to kill him, and then you have, like, your your secondary bad guy, and then you have your main bad guy, and then everyone's happy, and then you have your flight from the f- from the fortress, and then return to the village and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, <laughs> but, um, definitely I think you could do some really cool things with Fathuga, uh, Fathuga, uh, fire vampires in general. Uh, you could have a bad guy who, you know, at, like you talked about how fire vampires can inhabit people or take on human form. That's scary as heck. (laughs) Like, imagine, like, back to the Friday the 13th, being stalked through, uh, I don't know, um, some national forest, uh, Joshua Tree, your friends decide to go abroad uh, from uh, Germany or Sweden, and you travel America, you camp in Joshua Tree National Park, and, and there's this, like, fireman following you. 
And but you know, not not hook and ladder fireman, a man of fire. Yeah. Or fire lady, you know. Um. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of potential there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else you have to say before we uh, put out I this think fire? I covered this subject pretty well. Okay. Cool, cool. Well, as we douse this with a utility shovel of commercials, uh, we'll see you after Dave talks to uh, our good friend again. And they're going to talk about Dr. A. And then I'm going to sing the theme song for D&D on D&D with Dave's accompaniment. And then we'll be talking about... Uh, what? No, we're talking about Gathanathoa? No, we're talking about Formless Spawn. Uh, Children of Sothagwa. Not the elephantine things, but the uh, guardians of Sothagwa's temples. Uh, ask uh, Zaphros Temp... Uh, that, that Clark Ashens. We'll see you after the break, everyone. And Dave, any, any, any words before we go into the break? Nope. All right. We'll see you in a bit. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know... Uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. So once again, we are at the part of the show where I am not talking to DB and I am not talking to myself and only occasionally talk to Ralph the Rooster when he pops in. And today we're talking to Phil Lehman, uh, who you guys may remember, uh, we were just talking. Said, yeah, you were on the show five months ago and that was September. I was thinking, no, no, no. September was two, three months ago, wasn't it? But it's been about it five like months. It. Yeah, it's been about five months since you've been on the show, so uh, maybe you can remind people who you are and maybe catch us up with what's going on. Uh, I'm glad to be back. Um, I am a LARP crafter and a former comic book artist. I used to publish my own uh, graphic novel, and that's why I'm glad to be talking uh, with Dave tonight about uh, one of our mutual favorite uh, comic book characters, Dr. Dr. Afra. Yes, that's my girl. That is my girl. Uh, and um, so, yeah, that's not anything Lovecraft related, really. Well, maybe a little. She actually, there is kind of a Lovecraft type. We'll talk in a little bit later. But um, maybe for those of you who are who haven't heard who Doctor Afra is, maybe you want to introduce her. Uh, yeah, uh, her her full name I think is I think it's pronounced. Shelly, Dr. Shelly Afra, and she is a, 
She describes herself sometimes as a rogue archaeologist in the timeline of the middle uh, trilogy of Star Wars, so episodes four, five, and six. And she's typically employed by Darth Vader to do dark things. He doesn't want the Imperials to know, you know, what he's up to. And she's very much a, a gray character. She's somewhere between the dark and the light. And I just find her very compelling as a character. She's very original. Um, and I really enjoy reading her adventures. You know, I, I kind of describe her as a combination between Boba Fett, but that's before he kind of, the, the, the book of Boba Fett kind of changed him a little bit, but between Boba Fett and Indiana Jones. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, sometimes she's kind of like a female Indiana Jones who got tempted by Belloc too much because at the at the beginning of her stories, she, again she appears in the Darth Vader series of comics before they spun her off in her own, and she gets a little bit more light. You know, she gets a little bit more towards the the lighter side of the Force, uh, a little bit more. Um, listens to her heart maybe and not so greedy. Yeah. Then there's some definitely character growth um, in, in this character in the, the, the fact that she's not overtly evil, but at least now she'll do about anything it comes down to, to save her life. Right. Right. But she won't go maybe go out and betray people unless that's the, she has to. Absolutely. Uh, and that's what I like her. I think she's very relatable in the Star Wars universe because Star Wars is this big epic, uh, you know, uh, allegory of good versus evil. And, you know, not many of us have the force, can use a lightsaber, can fly a starship, that kind of stuff. And in a lot of ways, she's just trying to keep her life together. She's made some uh, life choices that she may regret now. But there's a lot of growth in the story where she um, meets back up with her father and comes to, you know, a uh, reconciliation a bit there. She has love interests that she, uh, you know, has up, you know, up times, you know, good times and then some bad times where, you know, she makes some mistakes. Um, But it's the still struggling to do better. And she's like I said, she's just very relatable, I think. Very and and you know, like I said, she will do bad, but she'll feel bad about it too. But it doesn't necessarily stop her, but she feels bad. Right, right. She's also got a neat set of skills between the archaeology and knowledge of other cultures and languages. Uh, she can dress up and you know be in the you know the um, upscale casino type uh, places where you'd expect to see Lando Calrissian. But she's also equally at home in Jabba's Palace, or uh, they brought her into Galaxy's Edge as a setting. So she really, you really get the uh, impression that she's very, very well traveled. And yeah, you know, no, she's definitely a, a what I think would take, and I'm sure I got this from some uh, role-playing game term. She's very much a social chameleon. Yes, yes, that, that's a great way to put it. I have not heard that term, but that's exactly where, yeah. yeah and, she, and, and, and she can blend, too, because, you know, her degree is in archaeology, but she's also 
what we would call a, a master hacker or in the Star Wars universe, they call her a slicer. Right, right. And she's very good at doing that on the fly. You know, she doesn't have to have a huge kit or anything like that because some of her close calls have really that's the way she survived was by using her uh, slicing skills and, you know, sometimes convincing people. She's very charismatic. Uh, if she were a D&D character, she'd have a high char charisma score, uh, high intelligence score. Here on Earth, we, we call it social engineering. Yes. But very much sort of that, that, that well, teenage rogue hacker. But I like that, you know, she has the slicing, the sort of cutting edge, futuristic skills, but she also looks back. She's an archaeologist. Right, right. And uh, appreciates art for its own sake or, you know, realizes, well, this is really old and maybe powerful, but it's ugly and, you know, has has a dark purpose. And, you know, just because it's old doesn't necessarily make it completely valuable. So, like I said, she's just an awesome character. Um and I really like how with the Marvel comics getting the Star Wars license again, well, and because they're part of Disney, they um, they just seem to have used her a lot in a lot of different of their comics. And, and I, I enjoy that. Uh, absolutely. And, and maybe we'll go a little bit. There's some very unique things. I think they took some risk with her. And the first, you know, again, it, it's it's different because it's space. But her features are are Asian. I think they call it in Star Wars emphatic or something. But she has Asian features. She's youngish, and I think I think the people who draw her draw her very attractive. She's not the stereotypical comic book woman. No, she's definitely not a Barbie doll. She's not, and she dresses, um, you know. Sometimes she does dress, you know, very attractively, but she's also dressed, you know, because this is the Star Wars universe. Uh, she's not running around in like a chainmail bikini. She, you know, yeah. she's wearing a practical outfit for whatever temperature. She's got, you know, the boots. She's got that really cool aviator cap with the goggles. You know, she's she's usually well armed. Um, she does her homework to, you know, whatever caper or. Mm -hmm con or heist she's planning she does the research to find out about it and you know what are the traps who's been there before how many times have they tried that you know that kind of stuff and and you, and you sort of mentioned it she started in the marvel darth vader comics but she's the first non-movie character to get her own comic her own comic title right right so so and I, and I think they realize that they have somebody who is relatable to multiple generations. I mean, you and I are about the same age, I think. But I would think she would be very relatable to, you know, a, a millennial or a high school student who's looking for more Star Wars content, especially if they're into The Mandalorian or um, The Book of Boba Fett. And... I'm just kind of I'm with you. You've you've voiced on the uh, podcast before of wanting to see her in a live portrayal, and I think there's a lot of actresses out there who could pull that off. I think she would be very relatable. Absolutely, uh, and and you know I haven't didn't plan on it, so I didn't give you a hint. Kind of put you on the spot. Uh, do you have some people that you think would be you'd like to see? Oh, 
if they were showing her in the time of like um uh you know post uh rise of skywalker um i'd want to see ming na wen but i know she's got her other characters there so yeah. it'd have to be somebody who is a, a young uh, asian or you know somebody who you really can't tell what their ethnic group is i think could really pull it off but you know you know somebody who's not your stereotypical you know caucasian um, I, I think um i think olivia munn would be a good choice i think she'd be great too yeah actually yeah she would um and, and i have a friend really pushing for uh aquafina and i rewatched some of the stuff that aquafina is in and you know i could definitely see that okay i'd have to i'd have to yeah i could see that so. um there's probably others too you know that would be a good one for maybe a breakout or there's other actresses that i'm just not aware of that would be good in the role now, kind of, and, and we will definitely be getting back to uh, to Doctor A here. But you kind of said we're 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 of the generation that you know we were at least in some form of school when the original Star Wars rolled out. What, what are maybe some of your Star Wars memories or things that you you remember growing up, or, or even maybe your older age, what you really liked about Star Wars? Um, there's several. I mean, just real quick, I remember seeing the very first Star Wars in the theater when I was like just shy of 10 years old uh, and just being completely blown away with it. I had seen a lot of, you know, Westerns with my dad on TV, you know, some John Wayne ones, but also like the Clint Eastwood, you know, good, the bad and the ugly. So he, my dad really liked it. Um, seeing it from that kind of perspective, uh, I really liked it because I was big into science fiction books at the time. And this really, was the first kind of, hey, this is, okay, yeah, it's um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but they still have starships, but these weren't pretty gleaming starships like you saw in Star Trek or 2001, A Space Odyssey. These or were Buck like, Rogers or... Yeah, exactly, or Flash Gordon. These were like, you know, banged up trucks or, you know, World War II airplanes that had battle damage and stuff. Um, you know, so there was just a, a realism and a, a texture that was so rich and so fun. I won't say I enjoyed waiting for Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, but it was, you know, it's like nowadays having watched uh, Avengers Infinity War and then Endgame. You know, there's all that, um, all that speculation that went on in between and that gave us some really good products too like uh i was just talking about my that with my teenage son with um oh the series that had uh prince zizor in it that happened uh i can't think of it uh shadow of the empire shadow of the empire that's it uh that i mean if you saw all the movies one right after the other then that book may not have made such an impression on you, but it, it did to me. Yeah. And like the other really big Star Wars uh, memory that I really like is about a year and change ago at Christmas uh, 2020, me and my family went to uh, Disney World and we spent a day at uh, Galaxy's Edge and me and my son, who was 15 at the time, 
got up early and we had the uh, passes so you could come in an hour early and we ran to the back of the park and got on the um, the Millennium Falcon uh, co-pilot ride with like a 20 minute wait. Oh, nice. So I mean, it was just amazingly quick to get on. And then, you know, it was just pretty much me and him. And there's like two other people, but they didn't want to touch the controls or fly the Falcon or anything like that. So getting to fly the Millennium Falcon with my son was just a tremendous memory as well. Awesome. Yeah. Now, uh, kind of going back a little bit to, to Dr. Afra here, the main thing, I mean, I think it's fair to describe her as an anti-hero. Yes. Um, yes and to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the, the concept of anti-hero. I think it's a very powerful tool, powerful character, a very powerful trope. But uh, are there any anti-heroes that you really like or maybe the ones that you think? Uh, what are your thoughts about the anti-hero? Um, in literature, I actually kind of really like them because it's not the kind of people you want to associate with in real life, but that's why I like the Boba Fett character a lot uh, yeah. when he appeared, because he definitely came across as that anti-hero. I mentioned, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly where the, uh, old Clint Eastwood spaghetti Westerns, you know, yeah. I would call him an anti-hero in most of the ones he made. Uh, okay. You know, Fistful of Dollars, uh, For a Few Dollars More, Hang Em High. Um, I think those were kind of anti-heroes, and I like those. Um, and I think a lot of people rediscovered the love of, uh, you know, pirates with uh, yeah. Jack Sparrow. Those are the, like, quintessential anti-heroes. But those go back to, you know, uh, Douglas Fairbanks. Um, you know, some of those old black and white swashbuckling movies that they sure. did back then. The Three Musketeers, some of those you could call anti-heroes. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I, when I was in high school, whatever, when I was learning about anti-hero, the example that always was used was Hamlet. Oh, uh, right, right. Yeah, he, you know, so, so anti-heroes can be very complex. And we see them in the Star Wars universe, um, you know, um, a lot and kind of, you know, Han Solo, he, he went and he became an anti-hero to a full-fledged hero. But, you know, you got Darth Raven. And so there's a lot of, I think, really good anti-heroes in the, the Star Wars universe. And I think you have to look for them, though, because, again, you really do have like the rebels who are usually portrayed as you know very heroic and then the 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 empire is very dark and evil where i saw it was if you watch the clone wars the mm. animated ones by dave filoni um i have those all on dvd and i rewatch those a lot because you see the whole spectrum of very noble very practical and then some you know pretty dark characters but some of them are all clones so yeah. it's just kind of how they make the choices and they tell very powerful stories. And I think that's the the beauty of the uh, anti-hero. You mentioned when you um, you reminded me of one of my favorite uh, anti-heroes growing up because uh, everybody, you know, we talk about HP uh, Lovecraft and then Robert E. Howard a lot. Right. With Conan. But I think people have forgotten about Michael Moorcock and his character Elric of Mel Melnabonet. Yeah. 
And he is definitely an anti-hero. I mean, uh, he was dependent on his sword that, you know, sucked the souls out of its victims for his health and his strength. Um, you know, he betrayed his own people. Um, but he was the central character of just this incredibly compelling story of the forces of law versus chaos. Ab- absolutely. And, and who else I was thinking while we were talking? I think that Star Wars is, and we kind of know, you know, we know how he ends his life, but um, Cassian, I think, is they're going to build up as an anti-hero in his series. Uh, I'm really curious to see that. I mean, um, I have not seen uh, Book of Boba Fett. I've, you know, heard a lot of spoilers, so it's not that big a deal. But, you know, I really look, I've really been um, encouraged by what I've heard from it. Uh, I've enjoyed the Mandalorian and stuff. Um, I kind of, you know, again, another anti-hero whose story I really liked was uh, Darth Maul. You know, how he was yeah. betrayed by uh, Palpatine and, and really, you know, hung out to dry. And they explore that in the Clone Wars and even in Star Wars Rebels. So, and, and again, this is a spoiler, and I apologize, uh, you know, of sort of Boba Fett. We'll try to keep it to the minimum. But we really can't, if we're going to talk anti-heroes and we're going to talk about Dr. Afra, we've got to mention that in the book of Boba Fett, Black Crescenton comes up. Yeah, I yeah I saw all of. Sorry to spoil like that. that so. But no, he's no, a, no, he's I an knew about that a long time ago, and I was really that. Like I said, I just haven't gotten around to watching uh, Book of Boba Fett yet. It's just a scheduling thing. No, no, no I understand. But yeah, but, I was really but he's a afraid. great anti-hero. Oh yeah, absolutely. His early days would be something I'd like to read about in a comic book, or you know, if they did something live or something like that. Especially, um, I read. In, I think it was in Vader Down, um, which is a collection of several of the comics, where you have Chewbacca and Black Krizantin fighting each other. And I think that's just an interesting counterpoint of how those two characters um, turned out after all the misfortunes and life choices and the way they, you know, responded to, you know, the Empire and their enslavement. Exactly. Yeah, I know that. That would make it very interesting, and I'd love to. See, I'd love to see that now that he's an established character, and, and you don't see the cyber. And again, I'm not trying to spoil anything because you probably saw the picture. But I thought he was well presented, and keeping with the Wookiee transit, tra, you know, tradition. They don't translate what he says. It's all on acting and the acting of everybody around him. And I, I thought they they did pretty good building his character and keeping it true to the comics. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, that, if you're going to play a Wookiee, it's all about the full body action and being able to convey things with the um, the the hoots, the barks, the language of the uh, the Wookiee. Shira Wook, I think it's called. Yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, it's it, it's just so neat that they don't ever translate it. And, and I'm glad that they uh, keep that going. Oh, absolutely. Now, um, I, I, I'm first one to admit there's been some hits and some misses, but what are maybe we discussed a few? What are some things in post Disney merger, Star Wars that you've liked? Well, I mentioned Galaxy's Edge, and I like it because they have made it a uh, a location that goes through the Luke and Leia Han Solo era to the modern 
you know, Rise of Skywalker era with the First Order. And it's a... I like how they kept the setting, and it's kind of like Moss Eisley on Tatooine, but a little more varied in terrain, and you can make it very relatable. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like that they're continuing to come up with new content, but it's all in this shared universe. Yeah. You know, so you could see a character who was on Tatooine, and then they appear on... um, you know, one of these other worlds or one of these m- more modern uh, stories, or they, you know, they cross through to Canto Bight or some of the other locations that they've introduced in the comics. Uh, they then uh, bring more to life in uh, an on-screen uh, TV show. And I also like that they're doing these kind of short seasons. So it's kind of like a eight hour or uh yeah about an eight hour movie or a 10 hour movie you know it's a self-contained story which gives you a good jumping on point and a satisfying ending it's not like a tv show that goes 25 episodes and it's always going i think that's one of the problems with comic books is if you have to portray the same characters over and over and over again then um they never really have a climatic story with a beginning, middle, and ending. And, uh, you know, with the Star Wars characters, you can do that because we have seen, you know, what happens to Luke. We can see, we've can we seen what happens to Han Solo. Uh, we know what happens to uh, uh, General Leia. Yeah, I, I think, and, and, and you can do, I think they finally caught on the English style. The, what the English have known for the since the 50s when it comes to tv sometimes less is better oh right 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 yeah like doctor who yeah absolutely. yeah yeah um so we were gonna like i said i wanted to discuss one thing and we don't we don't always discuss the mythos and and lovecraft but there was one thing that i thought was very cosmic horror with dr afra in the comics and that was her crossover with the, uh, oh, the main comic line and the uh, the main characters, Veda, I mean Leah, Luke, and Han, in a miniseries about three or four years ago called the Screaming Citadel. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, so which was basically a cosmic horror gothic, um horror story told with the Star Wars cast. Uh, Did you have any impressions or anything you want to share with the audience about that? I thought it was kind of like um, it was a bit like a haunted house story or to bring it more to uh, H.P. Lovecraft's uh, stuff, kind of like the rats in the walls where Mm -hmm. and the Star Wars, especially with the Sith, does that whole kind of cursed location, haunted location, very, very well with, you know, all of the um, Jedi temples or the Sith temples that they've shown. And I think it's just a fun way to show Afra in that situation where she's dark, but she's not the darkest character in that series, you know? Uh, especially since she's got you know, um, 
triple zero and BT, but then you also have the the um I can't remember the name of the character, but she's like the uh sort of a witch queen, yeah. Yeah, the sort of Sith witch, yeah, character. Um but it was just yeah, a lot of fun uh as a story. Yeah, and uh it, it's definitely one of my favorite I would say graphic novels. Definitely right. for those are those who want to maybe be introduced to Afra, but wants to be introduced by people they know like Luke and Leah and Han and Chewie. That's a great way. Absolutely, and you can find the graphic novel pretty easily. Um, when I started looking for it, I found it very easily. I think another thing too is like uh, in university or high school libraries, a, a lot of times you'll see some of those graphic novels there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so you don't have to shell out a huge amount of money or make a big investment compared to like having to buy up all the old uh, individual issues. Yeah. And kind of how I sort of felt it, sort of a, a creepy, you know, sort of sort of gothic setting. So when I read comics, you know, there's certain voices I hear in my head. Right. So if I'm reading Tank Girl, it's Lori Petty's voice I hear. Right. <laughs> right I'm, reading, yeah. I'm reading Batman. It's Kevin Conway's voice. Yep, yep. When I read that, it was Vincent Price's voice. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know that, the, and definitely. So, so if you like Star Wars, you like you like Vincent Price, and he doesn't appear, but this is the type of science fiction. If they had special effects like this in the fifties and sixties, he'd be in. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I think we asked you last time, and again, hopefully we'll get you back in before uh, five months, but I think we asked you this last time. If there was any one project that you could do, don't have to worry about finances, copyright, you know, just whatever supporting group time you need, what is your dream artistic project? Well, it's changed in five months, actually. Um, I kind of thought... If you've ever been to a renaissance fair, you know how a lot of places they have a semi-permanent location where they set up buildings there. Mm, yeah. I think it would be really cool. I don't know that this would be commercially profitable. You probably could only do it around Halloween. But an HP Lovecraft, uh, Clark Ashton Smith, Robert E. Howard themed like Halloween village. You know, kind of like a Ren Fair village, but all about their creations so you know you might start in like the miskatonic library and oh, then nice. you go you know depending on you know and this could be multi-path where you uh you know you just wander around with your group and you know you might be pulled into like an egyptian thing like imprisoned with the pharaohs you might be pulled into uh, i think it was the city of arem where they're um yeah, or I'm or, um, Yeah, you're probably pronouncing it closer than I am. Uh, well, where uh, Robert E. Howard's The Black Stone was. Uh, oh no! So Aram is the uh, lost city in, um, uh, oh, the Middle East. The Black Stone. It's like it's a Hungarian name, Herzegovic, or okay. I'm confusing the two of them, but that kind of a thing. So you kind of have like you take some of the stories. And you just kind of make them physical places. 
and you know they don't have to be tremendously um, complex because you would make them creepy with your you know you know like haunted house special effects so sounds bad lighting wind effects uh you know the sound of rats going through the walls so you'd have uh you know uh all these different locations that you could make reasonably you know yeah, it wouldn't cost you an arm and a leg if you knew if, if you were uh disciplined about it but you use that same kind of haunted house uh engineering uh aspect and then you know you have this you know, maybe you do it you would do it uh with a in providence in a uh necronomicon or something like that it yeah. just it, that would be really cool because then you could do the costuming and makeup and a lot of those kind of things yeah. And so, no, I would love to. So if, you, if you do pull that off, let me know and I'll try to get over there. But yeah, <laughs> no, I, it was Streffel Car, or not pronounce it right. Um, but it, yes, well, okay, uh, right. Streffel Car. So, but I've been thinking about this differently. And I, I think about this question. I think, yeah, I want to write this book. I want to tie this story. I kind of, if I had a dream project, it's always been in the past I wanted to be in charge. This is what I want to present. I would love that some sort of, of you know, Disney, preferably Star Wars, but I'm not the MCU. I would love to be the best boy for one of those series. And that's, you know, that's that's the guy that the gopher, the guy that gets dumped on. And, well, we'll send you somebody and we'll have, you know, we'll send you our best boy. I would love to have some sort of job where I could learn all these things, how they do it. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be a, a lot. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I have, like I said, really enjoyed talking to you again. Not only talking to you, but talking about by far one of my favorite literary uh, characters ever. Um, and hopefully, we will have you on sooner than five months, or on again sooner than five months. That sounds good. Um, again, I, I really enjoyed the topic. I really liked uh, discussing Dr. Afra, and I was uh, really honored you asked me to come back. Well, thank you. Hey. Ah, that was a good break. I, I ran around the block. It, it It's rainy. I jumped over puddles. I, I uh, did not wipe out at all. I grabbed a coffee and then made it back to the studio in time to uh, talk to Dave about formless spawn of Sathagwa. Dave, what do you know about these guys and uh, how would you use them in your D&D campaign? So, I have to admit, the, the first I really came up with them uh-huh. was a... Um, a Call of Cthulhu uh, role-playing game supplement. Trail of Sathagwa? Yes, or the yeah. Compact. Oh, oh okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Which was kind of a, well, a lot of bulk was just cut out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, that's where I first came across them. Cool. Um, you know, since then, of course, uh, I realized, you know, it's uh, from the tale of Salampro, or Satampraseros, yeah, by, by Clark Ashton Smith, yeah, um, and 
so um, the th- one of the things about you know, so that story basically uh-huh. is Clark Ashton Smith running a two-person thieves campaign for himself. Oh yeah, oh definitely, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, you can definitely see that I that I think this was one of the stories that influenced Guy Gax at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And as such, I think that this may have been sort of uh, the, the the inspiration. I don't know this for a fact, uh-huh. but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, just the, the gluttonous cube, the green slimes, you know, the, sure. the, yeah. the black pudding, all these sort of slimy creatures that have been in since D&D since the beginning. Uh-huh. I, I suspect that this um, influenced them. Okay. Um, I I, I want to talk about where I specifically think and who I specifically think the formless spawn is. There, okay. there, There is a Clark Ashton Smith story, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, where... Uh, the king of an of the old it may be from Satampa Zeros, but I can't remember if it's that or if it's from another story. But uh, the king of the, uh, the the city that is abandoned that uh, Zeros and his uh, buddy uh, Tiriuv uh, they, they they go to uh, pil- pil- uh, uh, steal from and they run across this thing um this 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 inky black torrent of black quicksilvers it's described as a torrent of black quicksilver um the reason that the city that the capital city was abandoned was there was this bandit king who was of uh he was like a vormith and uh it is his he was spawned as his, his, his uh, parents were uh, Vormith and uh, Sathagwa, I believe. And he was this amazing bandit king and they chopped off his head and that didn't kill him. And then they like bound him in copper and uh, binding him in copper, in a copper sarcophagus, like a lozenge kind of thing, didn't matter because uh, he changed form somehow and burst out and became this thing that just like started like killing everyone in the city. And everyone was like, we need to get out of the city. So they like moved the capital. And I think this formless spawn, you know, the reason that everyone left is still there and it's just like grown. And it worships its like father or grandfather, uh, Sathagwa. So that's why it's found at the temple. And uh, I, I don't think how it's treated in Call of Cthulhu is a good idea. It like treats it like it's this thing that happens, but it's like there's 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 one Vormith Sathagwin, uh, and I, I think it's the same thing that is encountered in the mound, uh, but it's just moved somewhere else because the fact that it's been like thousands of years. And it may not necessarily be Sathagwa, but it's so related to Sathagwa, it might as well be considered Sathagwa. 
um, to human concepts of Sithagwa. So that's 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 my two cents. I'll, yeah, so, I'll make so, that into a short story someday. So I love that you know the, this underground shrine or yeah. the underdark world uh-huh. is surrounded like with a moat of quicksilver. Yeah, and, and that it has you know the the formless spawn or gladness cues or whatever you want. Sure. You're sort of jumping out, and I, and I love that you know there's sort of this this graphite metal gray color for somebody. I just think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you're and you're definitely right that they are also mentioned. They're mentioned in the Mountains of Madness, but yeah. they're just thrown out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think it's just kind of like uh, to be like, oh yeah, you know that that uh, those those things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those other shape shifting uh, <laughs> gross things. <laughs> but in the mound, it's sort of interesting because these the subterranean people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, they sent out the scientific expedition. They discover the the form the spawn uh, the form of spawn, mm-hmm. and then they change their religion. Yeah, they go from you know they go from uh, uh, you know readers are uh, you know or uh, followers of Fafagua, uh-huh. and they rededicate themselves to Shugnagarath. Yeah, you know, and. and I don't think that it really. I don't think they explain that really in the mouth. <laughs> um, I, 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 I kind of feel like um, once you've encountered the formless spawn, um, mm-hmm. hmm, um, once you encounter the formless spawn and realize that it is the direct result of Sathagwa interfering with the genetic structure of a people who are probably similar to uh, the uh, Kenyan, you know, uh, underground subterranean uh, group. Well, I mean, uh, the uh, Vormith weren't necessarily subterranean. They lived inside of a mountain and maybe went down into it. And these may even be like the descendants of the Vormith. I don't know. Uh, but and, and, and that makes sense because you know can't can, can, you know the dark young be that much worse than the yeah. formless spawn? But for some reason that they just completely abandoned their theology. Because, yeah, and, and that kind of makes sort of a cool story wise. Yeah, that, yeah, these were once men or something. Yeah, yeah, no, no, these these the, the this this is like uh, like people have been like, what's so blasphemous about Sathagwa? Is it like a lurid kind of like phallic kind of thing? And it's like, what's blasphemous is what Sathagwa does to your genetic structure. Not only, uh, maybe, maybe not even physically, maybe like corrupting of your mind, corrupting through a way of a larger understanding of how the universe works, which... I mean, once you're able to understand how fourth, fifth, sixth dimensional space works, uh, you're, you're, I don't know, kind of uh, talk about interdimensional FOMO. Like, there's stuff that you know exists. Like, you can't see things that are important to other creatures' religions because the fact that you just don't have eyes for that. You don't have enough eyes, and they don't work properly. You can't even don't say... see that spectrum. Yeah, you can't even say the name of your god. 
properly because the fact that you have like some horrible mouth that was created uh, because of the fact that some uh, starfish guys uh, wanted to make uh, fleshy bulldozers a billion years ago, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like yeah. how the shape of our uh, our star uh, our space shuttles is determined uh, by how the Romans built their roads. I mean, our mouths in the Cthulhu mythos are a direct result of something that happened on accident while making shotguns. <laughs> well, I think that makes for a, a pretty interesting D and D game. Oh yeah, you know get uh, like an alchemist that's hiring the party because mm-hmm. it wants to do research on, you know, all these, you know, uh, puddings and and cubes and slimes. And then all of a sudden finds out, oh, you know, these were all once human beings or, yeah. or genetically the same as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or um, you have an alchemist who has like some corrupted text, like some broken like the only thing that's left is a torrent of black quicksilver, and um, you know, just like something about like an uh, uh, not quite you know reading it, and it's like oh, something about riches in a capital city and a torrent of black quicksilver. Ooh, that sounds amazing! I need to learn how to make black quicksilver, and then is you know hires people to go to this ancient city that's like way up in a frozen north where no one even lives anymore or something like that to go and find the secret of black quicksilver which ultimately you find out isn't a what but a who you know yeah. <laughs> you ultimately may not if if you defeat it you have the riches of the city but you know it's it's not like you can take it back to the wizard or necromancer and be like oh hey this is how you make black quicksilver uh I, yeah, yeah. I, so I think that hey they definitely i think they anything that anything that you've got slimes uh-huh. in yeah you can you know bring up to 11 by adding uh formless bond oh yeah yeah it's it's like hyper intelligent uh, hyper-intelligent slime that hates humanity. <laughs> uh, hates hates technology, hates, you know, uh, who knows what a formless spawn can do. Uh, yeah, no, formless spawn are crazy. And I was thinking, what if a formless spawn, uh, I don't know, not necessarily makes itself into a shape of a human, but just, like, goes inside of a human and hides out, or... Uh, takes over somehow. And, and I'll show you where I think there's a classic example of this. Clayface. <laughs> no, um, X-Files, the black oil. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I really think that, and, and we know Chris Carter, you know, definitely was aware of the mythos. Oh, yeah. But but I, I've always thought that maybe there was a connection between the black oil yeah. and, and the form of Spawn. Ooh, I like that. And there's quite a few episodes you can borrow that, including the uh, the first X File movie. Yeah, yeah. Where where the black oil is infects people, or or, or yeah. So I think that's a um, that could be a lot of things, not only from medieval or adventurous, but uh, modern storytelling. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, just like I was thinking, 
and uh, Black Spawn, um, if, if, if it's just kind of like stuck in a city in the middle of nowhere, what if, what if uh, say, researchers find it and bring back samples from uh, the South Pole or Finland or something like that, uh, Greenland, and, you know, then it thaws out. <laughs> and then it gets into the sewer system or, you know, or, 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 or what you're worried about is, uh, you know, the thing you're worried about it leaving and, uh, you know, infecting more people or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, mm. you're stuck on an oil rig and this stuff that's like, it's, it's not petroleum, but it looks like oil and it's, it's, it's slowly affecting everyone kind of, I mean, and then, you know, it, it, it formally, it, it builds up enough that it's actually starts building enough to build up enough mass to, like, not just be something that slips in and out of ears and eyes and mouths and noses, that it's, it's, it's big enough to, like, you know, uh, at, at one point in time, uh, your heroes see it and it's like, oh my god, did you see that thing? It's the size of a rattlesnake. And then the next time you see it, it's like... Uh, you think it's like maybe a rat or something like that, um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And then at some point in time, you don't see it, but you hear it for a while while you're like coming up with your plan or your, your, your main characters are coming up with a plan. And then it's showdown time. You, you have to fight whoever's uh, on the, on the, I don't know, on the oil rig or at the fortress or, or, or a submarine or whatever, like the people who have interest in like keeping it alive for whatever reason, we can yeah. study it. We can turn it into a weapon. It's, it's an alchemist's dream, you know, whatever the, the uh, premise you have, the people who want to keep it alive. You have to fight them. You have people who want to use it and take it as a weapon. You have to fight them, whatever it is. Uh, and then you have to like, finally, ultimately fight it or go, we just got to blow this up and, Get out of here. Do, do the B-movie 1950s. We just got to blow this thing up. Hope that the debris crushes it well enough. And Nuke it from orbit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. It's like, oh, man, Aliens would have been a much shorter but a less frustrating movie if they just would have nuked it from orbit. <laughs> a lot of movies if they just would have done what the first person says at the very beginning of the movie. A uh, lot less interesting, but you wouldn't go, why are you doing that? Yep. Why would you eat enchiladas before you go camping? <laughs> Sorry. I had to make another Friday the 13th joke. All right. Uh, do we have a Friday the 13th this March? I don't. I um, don't think so. That's a bummer. <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Dave, before we drift off mm -hmm. and sneak out of this uh, dilapidated city we call o o o Oleander, uh, anything else you wanted to say about Formless Spawn? No, I think we pretty much got it covered. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, I was, I was, I was thinking, it's like, ooh, that'd be cool to like... Uh, drop into like a Star Wars RPG and then be like, oh, what happens with formless spawn and a lightsaber? And then that made me think, what happens with shoggoths and lightsabers? Uh, I don't know, but 
talk you know, about that and, some and other there's time. kind of a real quickly you know yeah. kind of thing uh, for Star Wars there definitely is sort of a that that sort of disease sort of plague it, the, like a dead trooper sure yeah animate yeah. for zombies and so maybe maybe you could do that to a regular game where where if you know someone gets killed by a, by one of these cubes or formless spawns they come back as zombies or it doesn't animate uh, the body but it takes over the flesh and the bones and everything and uh, maybe it can't animate armor or it can't animate uh, non-organic materials like plasteel or uh, I don't know uh, Biscar Steel I can't remember the names of Star Wars stuff off the top of my head right now for Anyway, but yeah, no, no, just like have some 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 uh, slime monster walking around in a suit of armor. Uh, Star Wars, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, police riot armor in New York. Uh, I don't know. There's there's oh, that's that's scary. <laughs> yeah. Stop me before I think about formless spawn again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, everyone. Well, that's enough for uh, leader of the pack of the fire vampires and uh, the lone wolf slime, the formless spawn, in my opinion. But I think you could probably have uh, formless spawn wherever Sathog was uh, putting down his seed. Uh, maybe that's the that's that's the uh, blasphemous thing. Uh, <laughs> some sort of I don't know. We 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 don't need to go into that right now. We'll talk about that with Sathagwa. All right, everyone. Thank you again for listening. Uh, Copper Cow Coffee is our sponsor this month, as last month. And also check out the T-shirts in the shop. We've got new ones coming soon. And yeah, and and um, again, we've got the YouTube channel, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's the one that has the uh, Cthulhu logo, not the one that... Anyway, it's an old one. It's the one that's updated more recently than other things. And uh, thank you again for listening. And thank you, Dave, for being part of the show and helping it grow. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you next time, everyone. Bye. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio.